Hello, and welcome to the Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way of doing business. We believe beautiful businesses are led with purpose by people who care, guided by a clear strategy, and soulfully grown. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Beautiful Business Podcast. My name is Ewan Sang, part of the Beautiful Business team. And this week, we were joined by Amelia Wrighton. Amelia is a passionate public speaker and founder of Suicide & Co, a charity established in 2020 to provide support to bereaved individuals and raise awareness about suicide-related grief. Amelia's personal experience of losing her mother at 19 while studying at university has given her a profound understanding of the challenges faced by those affected by suicide. Suicide & Co is a national charity with the core purpose to support those bereaved by suicide and open up the conversation around suicide-related grief. Suicide & Co provides support in one-to-one bereavement counselling. They enable individuals to access the right information as quickly as possible, welcoming them into a non-judgmental community. Amelia, let's talk about dealing with grief in the workplace. And perhaps you could start by giving us a bit of background to your experience around helping others handle grief and specifically bereavement. Absolutely. So I, my personal experience, I actually wasn't in the workplace when I lost my mum. I was 19, I was at university, but I was told that I needed to go back within three weeks or I would fail the semester, which really put into me like, you know, time to get over it, get back into work. Otherwise, you know, you're going to set yourself back massively in what you're doing. I think when it comes to grief in the workplace, I, when I started working, didn't tell a lot of people about having lost my mum to suicide. And, you know, grief isn't something that you have for three months, six months, a year. It's something that can really crop up at any time and have massive waves. For me, around the anniversary of when I lost my mum, I go into a very different place mentally. I'm more fragile. I Some anniversaries can really struggle with deep sadness. And for years, I didn't communicate that to anybody that I worked with. So if it really manifested, I'd probably have said, I've got a migraine, I need the morning. I would have lied something like that, that lots of people cover up mental illness within the workplace. But I really wasn't having those open conversations. Now, when we started Suicide & Co, we were always focused on direct to the consumer, direct to, you know, the population and providing that service that's accessible. But because I had had eight, 10 years in the corporate world, just through my own network, people were asking me advice. I was getting introduced to people. Can we jump on a quick call? We're navigating a situation. Can I get your advice here? And it became so apparent that it wasn't just employees and people in the organization that didn't know how to manage grief within the workplace. It was also HR, people, teams, and leadership. And so we did a big sort of global research, you know, deep dive to try and find advice out there. And there just, there wasn't any. So we have created a specific offering at Suicide & Co that gives advice on how to navigate suicide loss within the workplace. And there are, you know, different guides that can be provided. There are email templates. And there's also recommendations of service delivery, which we give like counseling debriefs as well. So, you know, when we built this project, we worked on it for a year and a half. We did a survey with over 300 people saying, what is your experience? Like, is this just us as co-founders, as the core team? And it is very proven that people struggle a lot with navigating grief in the workplace. But in terms of recommendations of what to do, I think I'd have like a list of like 10 to go through. Like it's multi-layered, it's more of a systemic change. But ultimately, the first 
you know, real thing that needs to be done is we need to recognize it as something that's happening. Bereavement in general, very commonplace within the workplace and suicide loss, you know, still really present. And when it does happen, it needs a reaction. Yeah, 100%. And I guess it's about businesses, leaders and managers kind of knowing what to do, knowing the best way to kind of handle it, that will protect not only the individuals who are affected directly, but also the workmates and the colleagues and the team members who are indirectly affected. I remember when we first set this interview up, Amelia, we talked about the lack of consideration when it comes to employee bereavement, when you compare it to things like maternity leave or sick leave. Tell us a little bit more about this and perhaps if you could share with us what you've seen businesses do or implement that evens out this kind of imbalance. Because people, you see it in job adverts, we've got really generous, you know, maternity kind of scheme or whatever it might be, or, you know, so many sick days and da 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 da. And they're very comfortable in talking about these considerations, but rarely, if ever, do you see anything around bereavement or indeed suicide bereavement? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I sound like I'm on repeat, but I think it is the the maturity of the mental health space. Like policy, there isn't really a lot of policy in any mental health side of things for organizations. I think ultimately when we compare it to like mat leave and things like that, the reason of doing that is that bereavement and having a child, you know, are big life moments that directly impact you, you know, practically, emotionally. They are big things. One's happy, you know, one's very sad. But ultimately, like making adjustments around a big life change is what's happened, you know, in that space for years and years, which is fantastic. I think when we come to bereavement, it can so often be kind of underplayed of if you have one of your core, let's imagine your you know, best employee loses their next of kin, loses their child, loses their parent. Let's say it's to suicide loss in tragic, sudden circumstances. That person's world is shattered at that time. And being able to put in provisions that can support that person seems like common sense. And, you know, in a lot of cases, it is common sense and people react to it and they give the right bereavement leave and they, you know, try and support that person as best as they can. But I think as a whole, that can be missed a lot. And there are people who fall through the cracks who are just not given the provisions that they should be given when they are navigating that tragic circumstance. You know, they are given time off, but they're not given a day off to go to the funeral. They're, you know, the colleagues, the workload hasn't changed at all. You know, I think it comes back to a very like, don't know, it's kind of like, do you remember what working from home was like before COVID where people would think you were just sat on the telly, like watching the telly. And it's that kind of thing where it's just like people almost feel like it's going to be taken advantage of or, you know, if they're given leniencies and their workloads are coming down, that that's not going to be fair on other employees and it won't be made back up. Like it's navigating the comfort levels with some of the practicalities, I think, in the workplace that there isn't enough structure around really. And that yeah. most organizations don't know what their bereavement policy is, but also there's no statutory bereavement policy. So that, you know, isn't really one to lean back on either. I just want to take a quick minute to say thanks to our trusted partners, Crystal Hosting. Crystal is a B Corp powered by 100% renewable energy and has a goal of planting 1 billion trees by 2030. Crystal service is super fast and super reliable and they're genuinely really nice people. We're super picky over who we work with as partners at Beautiful Business, and we're delighted to count Crystal as one of them. Back to the podcast. 
I didn't realize that there wasn't a statute yeah. shield policy. And that is mental. That doesn't make any sense that there isn't such a thing in existence because that's exactly where the guidance needs to be. Would you say, I guess it would vary from company to company, team to team. But, you know, when you look at, for example, like a mat leave scheme where they have so much leave paid for, and then, you know, the expectation would be that it would be a gradual return to work. You know, if you've got a new mum that came back into work three weeks after having a baby going full time, full tilt, you'd be like, what on earth is going on there? And to go back to what you were saying, that new mum has just gone through a life changing event their lives will not be the same again. And it isn't like, you know, you caught the cold or you broke your leg and you healed and then you're on crutches for a few weeks and you're back at it again. With a bereavement, that'll be with you, as you say, on anniversary of your mum, it affects you and it would affect other people in different sorts of ways. So would employers need to take that into consideration? Is it a case of flexibility? Is it a case of clarity? Because the challenge is, I guess, is like, you can't say, oh, right, if you have a bereavement, you get so many days off, you can return to work. Da, 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 da. It isn't one size fits all, surely? Or It's not. But, it, you know, I'm not a policy expert. Let's be clear about that. I sometimes can sound like I have like really great opinions on it because I've thought about it for ages, but I'm nowhere a policy expert. I think we think about like maternity leave, you know, you've got the months, we're giving like chunks of times off as the standard, that's what it is. But even women within that need completely varying levels of that. It just is the truth. Like we need like very varying levels of that. It's not one size fits all, but it's, you know, can be flexible. I think bereavement policy and like bereavement like processes should 100% be flexible because there is no one size fits all. Now, the difficulty comes that when it's flexible for great organizations who invest in wellness and, you know, mental health and well-being, that's great. For organizations who don't prioritize that, then people significantly fall through the gaps and they get real underserviced delivery, right? If you think about even within our counseling service, anybody across England and Wales who's lost a loved one to suicide can come and get 12 sessions. They could be your friend cousin, grandpa, aunt, child, mother. We have not defined who gets to access our services and who doesn't. We have not defined who deserves more support and who doesn't. It's very challenging when you take that into the workplace to manage that navigation of going, okay, I just lost my best friend to suicide. Who was you know, the closest person in my life who knew everything about who I spent seven days a week with, let's just say as an example. How do you rationalize that across from somebody who's just lost a child, which is a lot easier for somebody in HR or that situation to process that loss, how much time that person needs? It's so hard. And so, you know, there needs to be a lot of work done in better processes, better practices. But also that's why we are there as an organization support membership so that we can be able to, you know, give them that advice. Because ultimately, once it's chatted through, it's pretty much common sense. And if you value your employee and you value the work, having trust in them that they know what level of support they need and what would be beneficial to then you know, get themselves back into the workplace and being able to function again in that environment is the best way to do it. And do you feel like that starts from, as you say, that discussion, that kind of communication? Because as you say that, you know, if it was a direct family member, spouse, child, then it's perhaps a little bit easier to rationalize in your mind from a HR perspective, from a business leader's perspective, or it's a you know, direct family member. To, but if it's a close friend, if it's outside of that kind of immediate family group, 
would the first step then be having that discussion? And it comes back to what we talked about earlier about creating that environment where people feel safe to be able to talk about it. Because I imagine for the bereaved, there'll be a position of, I don't want to take the mickey and take a day off work because it wasn't like my son or my other half or something. It was my best friend. The diligent members of the team who give their all for the work and stuff, they may well feel like that. So I guess it's upon the managers and the people within the organization to be able to have those conversations and for it to feel safe to have those conversations as well in order to get that point where, as you say, common sense should kick in. So the policy, be it bespoke, be it more prescribed, can start to kind of roll out. So on that, what advice would you give, I suppose, in terms of being able to spot grief within team members? Because this is the thing, I guess, is that different people respond in different ways and perhaps they might be more withdrawn or they may not they might not feel comfortable with speaking about it so how would you what advice would you give there well i mean i spotting grief i would say is like pretty much impossible because i would say more skills around like spotting how somebody's struggling with their mental health is easier but grief can look like laughter it can look like crying it can look like anything right i think the way to kind of like solve getting to the root of what we're saying here, which is like having more of those open conversations is people in themselves who are struggling, feeling like they can come forward to their organization and say, I've lost someone to suicide and I need support for it or I don't or I want to flag it. Right. That definitely can come from there. I think, you know, there are going to be tons of people in your life, in everybody's lives, who've been affected by suicide loss as an example, who we won't know about because those conversations aren't commonplace. And spotting signs of grief is just almost impossible. But I do think that like having the confidence to ask somebody how they're doing when you feel like they're struggling is such a good first step to being able to uncover any problem. You know, again, when we come to like mental health taboos, when you can see somebody struggling, it's almost like we think that by asking them if they're okay, or if they need any help, that we're like offending them. And that is stigma. If you think that asking somebody if they're okay if you work that back, you're thinking that they will think it's offensive if you think they're struggling, right? So we're really like, it's all that type of thing that I think, you know, is just so present in everything. I think everybody can take an action to kind of be able to have the confidence that if they see somebody struggling to ask a question is a great first step. But I think for businesses, like, you know, HR teams and people teams thinking about how open their culture feels for employees to be able to raise awareness of things that they're going through, I think is really crucial. Because if we're talking about the best employee, the most diligent employee, the most effective employee, that person can be exactly like that and grieving at the same time with the right support in place with an open culture. Like That's a fact. And, you know, somebody will lose a loved one to suicide and want to go straight back to work because that's their coping mechanism. And potentially in that person's journey, three months down the line, six months down the line, a week, a wave hits them and they need a week. And the likelihood is that in that situation, they probably take it as holiday, probably don't go anywhere. They probably just, you know, have that time for themselves. Like, I think recognizing that at any point that person could come and speak to a people team or an HR team to say that they're struggling is the most important part. And would you say that this is perhaps getting down into the nitty gritty too much, but I guess it really does show how important it is to have that 
set of skills within your people team, be it in yourself as a manager, as a leader, or the owner of the business, or if you have a HR manager or people officer, it might be, who has those types of skills, has that confidence to be able to ask if people are all right without feeling like it's a stigma one way or the other. And I guess a lot of that comes, as you say, come back to that advice you gave earlier about practicing, doing it, doing it more regularly, making yourself more comfortable with, you know, asking, are you okay? Is everything all right? And again, that wonderful bit of advice about not taking on necessarily the responsibility or the accountability, but listening and being able to bridge to support and making those conversations more commonplace. Would you say that those types of conversations happen in, you know, predefined, you know, like one-to-one kind of checking? So for example, in my company, in our company, we do like a weekly one-to-one. Sometimes they're like five minutes, 10 minutes. Sometimes they can be much longer, but we try to almost kind of informally, we talk about how's it work, i.e., you know, getting stuff done and things like that. And then we deliberately talk about how is doing the work i.e what does it feel like are you coping all right and stuff like that. so we kind of try and move yeah. the conversation through so that we kind of move away from this thing is really difficult technically to do to this thing is really stressing me out because i can't do it and we're trying to move it that way but is that a sensible way of doing it or should it be you know in a more kind of formal kind of i mean what have you seen that works really well so I think like but firstly I love that structure and like as we say like work in itself creates lots of stress and talking about the stress that is being created by the work and how that feels to do I think is like really really important and is so often overlooked in lots of organizations I think it's when the outside world and I'm talking outside of work so personal loss personal struggles relationship issues when stuff like that you know, is going on, we don't have structures in place within management, within teams, really to keep bringing that up. And actually, it doesn't feel appropriate. Like, so also tell me, what is everything in your personal life? And how are your family issues and your parent who's sick and all of that stuff? I mean, we just can't do that. So I think having boundaries where the outside world stuff is has a space and has options of how to express that is really important. Now, ultimately, I think the sector's moved towards empowering HR and people teams, right? So giving them, you can go and talk to your HR team or people team in a one-to-one, but we've also got an anonymous tool through Slack and we've also got your EAP and we've also got that, right? I think being, not everybody wants to go and talk to their HR professional when they're struggling through something, but also really importantly, not everybody needs For me, the time of when to have that open culture of talking to that team specifically is when you expect them to do something on the back of it, when you expect them to give you leave, communicate something to other people, you know, whatever that is, when something needs to happen there, then that's when that conversation with them, your leadership, your managers needs to feel like it can happen. Apart from that, you know, there should be support on offer that people can just access to deal with that outside world. On their own, they don't necessarily need it all communicated. But you know, you see, yeah, there's varying levels and stacks that come out of usage of EAPs and things like that. You know, it's very challenging. I think it comes back to what we were saying earlier. Like we currently don't feel intrinsically like we have permission to grieve on a broad level, right? In whatever way we want. And I think when that starts to come into your mind that actually you do have permission to grieve, you do have permission to access different services and things like that. It's very empowering. And actually that can take you through to feeling confident enough to say, I'm going to need some time off. I'm going to need this, or, you know, I need to take some time for myself or, or even I'd like you to be aware of a situation. Like I wish I could have said to my managers going back, you know, 
want to make you aware that I lost my mum to suicide, you know, three years ago, and I get really, you know, bit fragile around the time. I find it quite difficult. I don't plan on changing any of my working behaviours. I don't plan on changing any of my outputs. But I would really feel more comfortable if you knew that this is what I was going through in the context in case my behaviours change, and you need to talk to me about, you know, anything that we're doing. And that would have given me more of a base level to go really struggling at this point, you know, please, can I take next Friday off? Or please, can I do whatever that is? I will make the time back up, but I need to protect, you know, mental health so that it doesn't deteriorate. I mean, from an employer's perspective, you would want that. That's the kind of openness that you would want, because again, you don't want the surprises. I mean, you know, you don't want the kind of the shocks to the system. You don't want that kind of, goodness me, what's wrong? What's wrong with me this week? You know, if you've got that kind of awareness, you can almost, even if it's kind of subconsciously, but you'd almost kind of be able to handle it better because you knew it was coming down the line. So there's a kind of benefits there. Next question that I've got for you is if we know that we have a team member that's suffering from grief, something that has happened, I guess there's the kind of almost standard thing to do is to, you know, send flowers, organize a card, you know, that sort of thing, which always feels quite kind of superficial. What can or what should managers and teams do? What kind of approach should they take when they're trying to look after a team member who is suffering from grief? Is there any advice that you would give there? Yes. So my like main piece of advice would be like the flowers, the cards, the lasagna, do it always, right? And if you're ever thinking like, oh God, don't know whether I should send a message, literally do it. Just be like, I'm thinking of you. I am here. If you need me for anything, let me know. Like that, those couple of words, they mean a lot. They may not go into that person's like psyche at that time, but they do mean a lot in retrospect. The biggest piece of advice I could give is that then needs to happen. A form of that ideally needs to happen for an ongoing basis, right? The time that is the most heartbreaking is when the bubble bursts and everybody else seems like they're going back to normal life. Your life is not the same anymore. And everybody else is cracking on. They're being like, used to be like, fine that you're not coming to parties. Now being like, why aren't you coming? I think it'd be so good for you. Do you? Do you feel like it would be good for me to come to a party? You know, it's those times, especially within work, where remembering that actually that did happen three months ago and I'm just going to check in proactively can make all the difference. For managers, having the confidence to set out a structure that goes, you know, let's say if somebody's come back off bereavement leave and be able to say, look, I'm so glad you're back, but I also want us to manage this together moving forward. You know, I really want to have an open communication with you and I want you to know that you can come to me when you're struggling because it's beneficial for both of us to be able to have that conversation so we can work around it, right? I would like in our one-to-ones, in our whatever your structure is of how you catch up with your line manager, I would like to implement a regular structure where I'm going to ask you about that. I hope that's okay. I'm doing it with the intention that I want you to know that you can flag anything with me. And that's that. And two months down the line, hey, you told them that you were going to ask them about this. It's not as awkward. It's always going to feel a little bit weird, but how... How are you coping? And also another thing that I think can be really good, which is what I present in lots of thought leadership stuff, is contextualizing the question feels like less weighty, right? So when somebody's come in off of, let's say they lost someone two months ago, to be like, how are you? 
can feel a bit like, obviously, they're probably not great. It can feel a bit like minimizing whatever. But to contextualize it, like to how are you coping this week? How are you getting on this week? How did you find the last couple of weeks? It's not you're asking a factual question that allows them to share as much or as little information that it is that feels really fine to ask. So that can be a good tip as well. To implement. That's wonderful. That's really, really good. That's so super helpful. And last question, what is your hope for the future when it comes to dealing with grief? What would you like to see as becoming normal? I'd like to see from an organization perspective, do you Yeah, mean? from an organization workplace perspective. So I'd like to see, you know, a user journey where the person who was directly affected felt comfortable enough to flag it with managers, close colleagues and an organization so that they had the context that if that person started to really struggle with their grief, there would be a context that would allow people to look out for warning signs. I'd like organizations to have flexible bereavement policies and think that they can put those in place when somebody is going to need to take leave for that bereavement. And when it comes to suicide loss, I'd like organizations to be signed up to our organization support membership or one day that to be just common knowledge and it's all over the internet, who knows, so that when that situation occurs, they're thinking about the individual and the support that they've had, but they're thinking about the power of the people around them. And that by upskilling those people in how to have conversations about suicide-related grief, about death, about how they could be struggling, having that holistic approach and putting in guides and tools that can do that at that stage is achieved, right? And that people are doing that reactively and they're having that like full level of support. And then broader, my hope is that awareness presentations, you know, continue to happen, but that we get to a level where you know, we have a base awareness of some of the easy tips and tricks and things that we can put in place so that we can make room for some of the more specialized topics like suicide loss, like domestic abuse, different things that we need to kind of be able to upskill in to help really bring down those crisis areas. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast and a massive thank you to Amelia Wrighton from Suicide & Core. Thank you for joining us for this week's Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way to do business. Join us next time for more interesting discussions on how businesses can bring about change, helping communities, building a fairer society and safeguarding the planet. You can also join in the discussion at www.beautifulbusiness.uk.